Hello, welcome to the Irish Life Archive podcast. In this episode, we talk to Jim Monaghan. Jim first became politically active as a student in the late 1960s in Dublin. We discuss the increasing politicisation in Ireland at that time and Jim's political activity, initially with Labour and Students for Democratic Action, the League for Workers' Republic and briefly the LW War Breakaway, the League for Workers' Vanguard. Jim then describes his move to official Sinn Féin, the contrast of moving from a small left group to a larger party and the direction of Republican politics at that time. His later involvement with the movement for a socialist republic and people's democracy after they merged his involvement as chair of the Dublin H Block Armagh Committee during the hunger strikes, and the contemporary political landscape and the extent of the social change that has occurred since his early political involvement. Thanks to everybody who's been listening to the podcast. Um, as ever, we welcome your feedback um, on the podcast or indeed the project generally. Uh, you'll find the Irish Left Archive at leftarchive.ie and you can contact us there uh, via the site or email us at contact at leftarchive.ie. Thanks to Jim for taking the time to talk to us and thank you for listening. Well, Jim, thank you very much for taking yeah, the time to talk thanks. to us. We'll start by asking uh, what your first sort of political involvement and in activism was um, and what led you into it. Well, I come from a Fianna Fáil family and there was a sort of an interest in politics, but even then uh, my father would basically was apolitical, but there was a feeling that uh, Labour and Labour in Britain with Wilson, etc., was the future. So a vague sort of, you could say, social democratic attitude to things. And I remember when I walked in England for the summer, I read uh, one of Deitchker's volumes of the three-volume biography of Trotsky, and I was quite influenced by that. So when I went back to UCD, I energised myself enough to find the Labour Party branch which was the university's branch of the Labour Party with Rory Quinn as chair and yeah. Roger Cole as vice chair because it included oh. Trinity and UCD. Wow. And then uh, in 69, Students for Democratic Action started up initially as a coalition of the Labour Party branch, the Republican branch, which is illegal, it didn't get recognition. Uh, Christus Day or something like that, which was a left-wing Christian group. Right. Uh, and so initially the statements were all signed by the three secretaries or three or four secretaries of that group. And then in 69, though, there was all the furrow about the move to Belfield without adequate preparation, no library, mm -hmm. etc. And uh, we got exercised by it and occupied the administration block Right. And uh, confidently expecting all of us to be expelled. Uh, and I think we, we, we sort of took the university by shock because I think UCD was an incredibly conformist body where nobody said boo to lecturers or anybody. Uh, you could say it was a glorified secondary school. And I think our society itself was very res respectful of authority. Yeah. And to our surprise, it, it ushered in a teaching about what universities are and ranging from Kevin Myers, who came up with a very highfalutin uh, idea of what it should be uh, and various other things. Uh, again, uh, I was in the little group around Basil Miller who were, let's say, more orthodox left in our attitude to things. Mm. And 
funny enough, people talk about it. There was second occupation, uh, which I think my friend Eddie O'Connor was involved in, but I'm not 100% sure. But the university did take action and want to expel people. Right. And it was very, very serious. And people like John Feeney appeared with his with, with a high court barrister. <laughs> 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 Yeah. And it, it wasn't pursued. I think it wasn't pursued because there was no precedent of it actually have ever been done, if you get what I mean. Really? So when yeah. they were faced with something like this, they said to themselves, what do we do about it? Throw the buggers out. And then Mad searched through the bylaws of the setting up of the college, etc. And they probably couldn't find <laughs> how you could do it. Right. And again, with people like... Feeney, who was well-connected, and other people. Mm. Uh, uh, I think they decided if you expel one, you have to expel the ones who are very well-connected as well. Right, so they kind of pull back. And th- then uh, you could say at the same time, and we were involved, there was Dublin Housing Action Committee. We went on the demonstrations there. Uh, mm. The Republican movement was reviving. The North was beginning to explode. Uh, we had friendships. Well, the League for Workers Republic came from the same milieu as People's Democracy. And while the, the, the splits that produced People's Democracy and the LWR McCann uh, mm. weren't exactly the friendliest, they sort of all knew each other. Mm. So, again, People's Democracy were far wittier crowd. I remember when the Springboks came to Dublin, uh, we had a big meeting in the League about what the slogan was going to be. And eventually came up, workers, though, Workers black, workers white, workers of the world unite, and people's <laughs> democracy can set with paint them black and send them back, which is much funnier. Christ. So by this stage, you're in the League for the Workers' Republic, or at least you're associating with them. Would that be correct? I was a candidate member. Jeez, these minuscule sects that had that uh, it was a great honor to be accepted, that kind of stuff. It was sort of nonsense. Looking back on the my history in small left-wing groups. I uh, maybe it's old age. Uh, I think what a waste of time a lot of it was, right? And pretentiousness as well, right? But I mean the yeah the LWR that would have been Paddy Heady, Carol Coulter, sixty-nine to seventy-one, and then right. some of the people who joined with me were around. Uh, Students for Democratic Action got seduced by Jerry Healy and company in England, who were using the term a harder Trotskyist grouping. And I have to say, sneering at myself, I think I was in search of the one true Catholic apostolic church of Trotskyism. Did you find it? That kind of thing. And and, uh, sometimes I look in the mirror and think that I have. (laughs) No, uh, it's it's the nonsense of a small group that thinks it's some kind of line of succession from Vladimir and company uh, and that they have more of the true faith or something like that. And that, like, how to build a party will first form the Central Committee or rather the Politburo and then form a Central Committee and then form branch committees and then recruit a rank and file. Right, 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 yeah. Did so? Did you you stayed with the LWR for a while, and 
Where did you go? For a while, then I was seduced by Hayleyism, which right. uh, had absolutely no relationship to Irish politics. It was an ultra sect. Mm. The first name they used was League for a Workers, wor- a Workers Vanguard. And then they realized that having the term Vanguard in their title wasn't a great idea. So they changed right. it to Workers League. And I, I went to two summer camps in England, which were, on retrospect now, realized were totally cultish and on the verge you've heard of those Maoist sects where people end up in really strange things like that while the mm. SLL was a bit bigger the, mm. you could see the cultism coming you know really? so uh, I sort of detached myself to a degree and I used to take a paper and I remember once mm. having a disagreement with them in their office and I said well, you know, the, the Poles are fighting imperialism and uh, warts and all, and no. And uh, uh, one of the people involved was going to take my sub for the paper and summarily told, we're, we're not sending our paper to that person. Wow. That's how sectarian they were. Wow. Actually, just as well, but I was, my connections were broken. Yeah. Because the danger of being in the milieu of people like that is the squeal for money uh, and you're tempted to go back in, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah. So I left. And where, then I joined the sticks. That was, and was that a, uh, in terms of, did you find a massive culture change or shift in that? Moving from a small left wing group, especially one that's a cult to a grouping that has a real membership of ordinary people who go for a pint on a Friday night and a Saturday night. Now, to go back to the Heliite thing, mm. was they had a catastrophic idea of the way politics were going. Uh, there was a dock worker strike in Liverpool and there was stories mm. that the army had been sent in and it, it, they, they had this thing, this is Germany 1932, Okay. And you want to go for a few pints, and it could be fascism. Yeah, you know, that kind of Armageddon type attitude to uh, to politics, which is yeah. nonsense. Yeah, was then and still is. Mm. So you found the sticks more amenable for a pint. No, not just pint, but there were <laughs> real people led real lives, yeah. you know, a job, chaplet, and yeah. Uh, and it had real roots in uh, around Dublin, mm. like you know, uh, uh, a bit of the Republican heritage. Uh, but if you went and sold the United Irishman, you know, you, people bought it who were vaguely left Republican around the place. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it was a genuine, maybe not a mass party, but it had genuine roots. Where if a grouping like the League for Workers Vanguard or the Workers League disappeared off the face of the earth, nobody would notice or miss it for months. <laughs> right. Did Did you find um, the officials at that stage were quite campaigning? I mean, was there a sense like that there was a smooth transition into a group that was um, making the well, running in various... A common called Frank Lyon Common, which yeah. met down in... Uh, I forgot the, the, the name of the street, but down in Temple Bar. Mm. And uh, there was a guy who ran there who was heavily involved with the Fat Dwellers Association. We got weekly reports from him, which mm. I have to admit to my sadness. Uh, weekly reports about how anything starts to dim. We 
had a stall at the Dandelion Market. Uh, Dick Spicer was a member who oh, went yeah. off to Bico eventually. Uh, uh, the guy in the Flat Brothers Association died rather tragically, rather young, I heard. But right. dedicated people, and they were involved in lots of things around the place, not just uh, support for the Republican movement kind of thing in mm. the narrow sense, but they were involved in every campaign going. Mm. And every month there was a Dublin aggregate meeting of the entire membership, which was mm. very open. People could go up and talk about anything. Mm. Uh, it was the first time I ran into Marie Murray. All right. And funnily enough, when she was on trial, oh, well, on death row like mm. that, I didn't identify her as being the same person because of a different hairstyle. And there was a little pamphlet produced by uh, Max Simone, which had yeah. a couple of photographs for him. I said, oh, God, that's her. You know, that Christ. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Did um, I should ask, why the officials as a sink from the provisionals? Or would, would it not have entered? Would they simply not have been an appealing well, group be to join? But the provisionals were Neanderthal right. in Dublin, at least. Uh, right. I, I give you an amusing thing. Some of them used to drink in the same pub that the Stickies did, and they were putting up their local government uh, election campaign. And I actually over a pint rolled half it for them because they had no ideas. Right. None. <laughs> With the provost, it was organisation B, and the role of Sinn Féin was uh, rest and recreation. Yeah. It had no real function. Mm. Uh, where in the sticks, Sinn Féin was a real political movement involved in lots mm. of things. So you could think that the tail wagging the dog with the provost, the tail wagged the dog with the sticks, the dog wagged the tail. Not saying that it was totally that way, but uh, right, it was yeah. more than that yeah. way. And the quality of the Dublin membership, a friend of mine became their education officer in Dublin uh, for a while, and well, that was episodic. But mm. uh, the you had the odd left winger in it, like Phil Flynn, but start, stuck out like a sore thumb. Right. And uh, you, you could say that the process of the of the provost becoming their Republican movement took place over a number of years. Mm. Yeah. Well, you read yeah. Lost Revolution. Yeah. Uh, you could say politically, even though it ended up as a cul-de-sac, politically speaking, the political thinking that was being done in, in, in Ireland was by and large being done in the official Sinn Féin. I still do that. I sometimes joke to people, that what am I? I'm sort of official Sinn Féin circa 1972. <laughs> Right. Did, since then, but no, yeah. An open left group. Did you find um I'm, I'm I'm interested in like we're interested in the, the 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 issue of the conflict and how that impinged on being inside the official Republican movement as it was at the time, the Republican movement as they saw it. Was there a sense of it You had reflections of it. Uh, I wasn't in organization B. Mm. I don't think there would have had me but um, <laughs> you had reflections of it uh, and rumours putting through that uh, Coslo wanted a short sharp military campaign to win back the loyalty of young people in the north especially and uh, initially well you know the lost revolution there was an alliance between him and Garland mm. uh, now I, I would have had reservations about whether 
the situation could have been retrieved with a get-rich-quick campaign, but there was that kind of atmosphere. There was also, there were problems with Owen O'Mourick, who was editor of the United Irishman, and it came to a head when he started putting poetry into his girlfriend, Helena Sheehan, which was a step too far for a lot of people. Uh, but it was mainly that it was becoming more a Stalinist organ, mm. explicitly anti-Trotskyist. Uh, mm. And a lot of people reacted, not that they disagreed with this, that, and the other, but they wanted to kept as broad church yeah. newspaper of the organisation. And I remember yeah. at the Dublin aggregate where it was announced that he had been ousted as, his, as an editor, there was a cheer by everybody. Right. Uh, but I think underneath that, in Organisation B, the tide was moving and it was becoming more entrenched. Mm. And uh, I could feel a sort of a certain the atmosphere changing mm. where it wouldn't be an au fait with whatever discussions were being held on the Arcola or more likely the Army Council. Mm. Uh, but you could feel that the it was getting more bitter and cold. Yeah. So did you... Would you have identified more than with the Coslo? Even saying the it in Coslo, people Coslo appealed to the more left wing people in Dublin. There was a market that's coming out here in Dunleary long since gone, but it was mm. very heavily involved. Uh, the Brannocks were involved, and quite a few other people, and across Dublin, uh, it was that. But like a lot of Republican splits, a lot of people who went with X, Y, and Z did not go on the basis of. It clearly worked out. I agree with Seamus and X, Y, and Z. But mm. uh, I've been friends with Megillah for, for decades. Personal loyalties intervened. Mm. Uh, there was even a story that uh, that one of the reasons Smullen hated Costler was that Smullen uh, attended an arms deal meeting in, in Inc., which was a setup instead of Seamus. Never quite forgave Seamus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. or not going to the meeting instead of him. I don't know how true that is, <laughs> but a lot of it would have been personal friendships, personal animosities, etc. Yeah. I remember yeah. years later, a, a left-wing member of the Provost, who was one of their major arms, Rivers, who was a big guy from the 40s, mm. and I remember expressing surprise that he had uh, his funeral was held by the Abroadi people, and it was he was interned with them. All right. Personal yeah. friendships. Yeah. Yeah. Did so did you feel how would I put it? Did you feel that you were being ushered to the exit door, or did you feel that you were moving towards the exit door under your own steam, as it were, as events? I just felt that it was going that way. There yeah. was uh I felt in the common I was in that there were meetings before the meetings I went to. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, delegates to our dashes that you know it's sort of the the people who would propose the resolution that was sort of a done thing you know mm. uh it's like going in to meet friends in a pub and they all go quiet and you think jay's been talking about me mm. it, it's it's not something you could pin at unless you they, they kept meetings of whatever they were at and it yeah. kept but maybe my special branch file, if there is one. <laughs> it's, it was a pity. You read Last Revolution. Like, there were huge challenges facing them. Mm. Uh, but that sourness that came in, yeah. I remember a friend of mine saying that 
old Republicans either end up in the loony bin or the alcoholics ward, but right. despair, etc. But never the Stalinism added a extra ingredient, yeah, like little jokes, funny. Instead of Mac Williams, that hung pal, that kind of stuff, you know. And they weren't exactly joking. Remember in the Hitchblock movement, you had the same thing. Uh, mm. Have a meeting, give out the agenda, give the orders, close the meeting. Why waste all the time with chit chat? But Stalinism feeds into that as well. The all mm. high Politburo's decided the role of a branch is to discuss the implementation of the line. And you had mm. that unholy mix together and even jokes like Joe Stanton knew how to deal with them. Mm. And I've, I've heard that on the, the provost as well. Uh, and okay, sometimes far left groups can be a pain in the arse, I'm thinking, especially the Irish workers group, the, the later one. Mm. But sometimes there are problems mm. and people are confused or don't know what to do or the way forward, etc. And there's not an easy let's this is what we do about this yeah yeah sometimes discussion and argument and debate is necessary to tease out what to be done next or and it's not that bloody clear even when you agree it can mm. be wrong definitely where did you go then and how did you leave the spell and just left because the atmosphere was sound. I joined what was then the Revolutionary Marxist Group, which then changed its name to Movement for Socialist Republic, and it had a parallel line to People's Democracy in the North. There was a whole idea, and Conor Cruz O'Brien shared it as well, that there'd be a Rhodesia-type solution in the North. Mm. The power given locally to some lash-up between Craig and Paisley, and there'd be a massive attacks on the ghettos in the north now I disagreed with it from the beginning because I mm. felt that British imperialism would not allow the southern state to be destabilised and British imperialism was not in a situation where I remember there were some people making on Facebook stupid comments that well British imperialism never did what the Israelis are doing in Gaza British imperialism never needed or felt it needed to do what the Israelis are doing in Gaza, horrible as it is. Mm. Uh, uh, so that was uh, a big thing. And th there was a first attempt to merge with people's democracy, which would have been based on that ultra-left thing. Mm. And I think some people, I'm being cagey about what I'm saying, took mm. uh, Armageddon seriously. And there was right. a grouping, I think, that called itself the Revolutionary Citizen Army or something. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, which... Uh, was prepared to be part of a united defence of the ghettos in Belfast. And I think those people who were politically oriented that way uh, joined an ephemeral group called the Red Republican Party. Oh, yeah. Which I think eventually liquidated into the IRSP. Right. Okay. Uh, sorry, that just raises a question. Were you ever attracted to the IRSP? I attended both the founding conferences. <laughs> Really? Because the, I was friendly with them, you know, and I knew them in the stick uh, and Bernadette and joined them, etc. So, like, having mm. friendly relationships where they were the nearest thing to us. So if you're going to talk to people about your politics, you should talk to people mm. who have who, politics that are not 100 miles different. But the problem there was yeah. the original sin of republicanism. Uh, 
Bernadette herself didn't know about it, but the uh, the uh, inla had been formed already, uh, and the IPLO, which is which, I don't know. And mm. I I think there again, in a worse situation than both the Provos and the Sticks, tail wang the dog, and Coslo came along the scene late. So while you could say in '69. You could bring material into Ireland and probably get away with it. Mm. By 1973, whatever, uh, the security forces north and south, uh, you were set up a car company after Hertz and Avis at cor- corner of the market. God, yeah. what a silly metaphor. <laughs> and a pale reflection of what happened in the 40s, the RSP people in Belfast could not understand why Costello wasn't able to deliver and he couldn't. Mm. They had this idea, even though they refused to admit it, that the South was sought, liberated territory, and it should be possible to get help, et cetera, et cetera. And Coslo right. couldn't, and there was right. those tensions that existed. Yeah. The other thing that went wrong with the RSP, in my humble opinion, is they recruited people who were kicked out of the sticks for good reasons. Right. Like, not everybody was far left dissident who was kicked out. So if you went to the founding conferences, you must have felt, no, definitely not for me at that stage, or or did you just drift away from it towards the... the conference, they had a newspaper, uh, they recruited the bulk of the people from Derry, uh, hmm. they were young, etc. Like, well, I was young as well <laughs> at that hmm. stage. Uh, yeah, I could see myself being in it. Right? The, the, uh, some people left the MS and uh, I think people from Oxford in the north and joined it. People who were uh, open to certain methods of struggle mm. more than others. Uh, there was a French ultra-leftist uh, friend of mine who was in the MSR and he, he defected uh, to the RSP almost immediately. Right. Because right. it fitted in with the artist type stuff. And again, that re-roots in Belfast, you know, that mm. there were parts of Belfast which were RSP territory where they mm. controlled certain areas. What was the Divis Flats, the planet of the Earps? That's yeah. right, yeah. You can read Holland's book on the, uh, or mm. book on the RSP, where the end up was not where the star. Yeah. Logically speaking and ideologically speaking, uh, there were good left-wingers, but they found themselves on a trajectory and of bitterness, etc. Like I knew Jimmy Brown, lovely fella. Really? But right. the, the guy who died shouting at other people and some of the murderous activities they got involved in, mm. it, it didn't have to be that way. Mm. Mm. I don't know how it could have been reoriented, but the, the and again the attacks on them. Uh, uh, if you're in a group that's attacked, yeah, the only way to protect yourself is to have hard men. Yeah, relying on having somebody who uh, who know what to do and who uh, if they do things to you, they can do things back. Mm-hmm. And it was just a god almighty the whole Irish peace split, but yeah. then can embed it the worst aspects later on in the sticks, you know. So you you stayed with the MSR? And then 
kind of joined PD later on. I stayed with them. Right. Uh, but again, the PD that was then far left, and uh, they were down to being a small far left group. Yeah. I would say a maximum of 40 to 50 members north and south. Yeah. Did you find it inter- Did you find there was a distinct change from being in obviously the larger official Sinn Fein moving into a, a, a radically smaller group again? I guess the difficulties of trying to do A to Z with a group that didn't have the numbers to do A to Z. Yeah, and that's the big problem. Uh, yeah, uh, probably stronger than our size merited in the women's movement, like people like Anne Speed and stuff like that so mm. who had a very high profile in, in the women's movement and mm. uh, uh i had arguments with Anne about that as well but uh prisoner solidarity etc and again if you're in a small group the, the strategy basically was if you're in a small group your the way to get things done is to try and persuade bigger groups to do uh, what needs to be done. So there's a whole sequel of uh, efforts to persuade initially all the Republican movement and eventually just the provost to things like the Northern Resistance Movement, oh, yeah. uh, the Relatives Action Groups, etc., to persuade the provost to do things politically mm. uh, with varying degrees of success. Mm. You could say to some degree that the H-Block struggle uh, owed an awful lot to Bernadette and the uh, people's democracy mm. for the politics of it. Mm. At one stage, I don't know if you know of it, but the Sinn Féin leadership ordered the prisoners to send a letter out to their relatives to tell them to have nothing to do with Bernadette's European mm. election campaign. I, I think I had heard that. That was an amazing... Oh, that's true. Yeah. So they're very hostile, effectively, but, to PD and to Bernadette. Oh why bother with politics when the 3rd Battalion is going to liberate Belfast any day now? <laughs> and they had this, uh, like, the editorials and the, and the, on Foblock like that, mm. uh, uh, were cracking the Brits kind of thing like that. You can almost say it too, why worry about burning down uh, long cash sure we'll soon be out of it there's another angle I guess on this which is that obviously official Sinn Féin had a very different view on the although in fairness maybe it hadn't developed that view by 73 or at least not to the same extent did that colour your thinking as well when you went into MSR stroke PD I mean was there a sense on your part like that it became more important to you or do you know what I mean or how did that colour your thinking about your political well, position. So the, the, the official Sinn Féin that I left mm. had morphed quite rapidly into being basically an anti-Republican group. Mm. Uh, whether they like it or not, or thing like that, dominated ideologically by the likes of Harris and company. Mm. And again, who looked at everything through the prism of the rivalry with the provost. Yeah. And bizarrely, when the H-Block movement started up, a lot of the provosts looked at the IRSP through the prism of their hostility to the officials. Mm. Because Coslo gerrymandered Ardeshes to get rid of abstentionism, etc. Mm. You know, he was fairly unscrupulous mm. like that. 
so a lot of the the provost they are as pay as inheritors of, of that kind of thing so people don't stop hating you even though things change or rivalries etc mind you i think if costello had lived uh he was a good political operator i think he would have had an impact in the h-block movement and mm. would have been able to reach out to people but i don't know uh that's what the ifs and buts because mm. after costello they degenerated quite rapidly mm. so was so i presume then from what you're saying that the h-blocks became more and more important in terms of pd's orientation and work and before in, that, there were PD's efforts to mm. uh, the relatives action groups, and before that, that the mm. prison issue was key uh, in the north, and also a growing sense of the like the ultra leftism had fairly died at that stage. Yeah. That the armed struggle was just uh, a cul-de-sac. And mm. uh, the, when I say about the sticks, they were right. Uh, there's no way the the mass base of the provost even at its maximum extent, was nowhere near big enough to dislodge imperialism in Ireland, uh, no matter what daydreams people were having. And mm. uh, that should have been obvious. And you could say that the, my attitude to the prisoners was that they were political prisoners, mm. that the, the, what made them re- Republicans and got them in jail was the political problems in the North. They weren't. Uh, isolated. Funny enough, the H-Block campaign showed that they weren't the Bader Meinhof of Ireland with no roots in the community. Mm-hmm. But to give you an example of how thing on, I remember one of the Coal Island conferences to get things moving. Mm-hmm. And like left-wing conferences in Ireland in a broad sense, it's not just listening to the speeches, it's just people going around chatting to other people. Mm-hmm. And yeah. at one stage, this old man got up and like I can quote it by heart I saw this stuff about political prisoners my son isn't a political prisoner he's a soldier <laughs> and you felt like politically this is total stupidity but it's heroic at the same time, <laughs> at the same time uh, uh, and yeah Provo prisoners being sentenced to 20 years and telling the judge mm. that they'll be they'll be on the boats like the boat people in Vietnam, shouting defiance, etc. Like heroic but stupid. Right, right. And trying to reach out to uh, the more political people around the place, and mm. uh, I think there's a certain truth that people like Adams, etc., knew at some stage that the armed campaign was going nowhere. But how mm. do you? untangle it and even now you could see it in the in what's left of the disagreement groups if you ask them why are you doing this and they'll tell you it's because lots of our friends died over the last 40 years and we'd be letting them down if we didn't keep doing it and the term like if you're digging a hole stop so you yeah so you you did get more heavily involved in the h-blocks campaign personally i, I guess everybody in pd block on our committee so, uh, so at that you, stage, I would say yeah. people's democracy and uh, the people who ran the Dublin H Block on our committee were a bit ineffectual. Mm. And uh, uh, the provost just basically made me the chair. So, sorry, had uh, you let you'd left PD by this stage? I left people's democracy because I felt that it, with the best will in the world, it was going nowhere. And right. it was just a small group. And mm. um, some people with good ideas, but they weren't 
a waste of my time going to a meeting once a week. Mm. Or I'd be better off than something broader. Mm. In terms of um, being in a smaller organisation, because you described the Workers' League, for example, as, as being very kind of closed and so on. So is it, is it the PT's orientation towards trying to influence larger movements that made them more attractive, even despite being a small organisation? Or... Well, it was the only feasible way if you're small is to try yeah. and go for some kind of you know, it's probably too grandiose a term but to try and and encourage cajole etc into mm. a broader thing like m- much later on we were involved in various initiatives to try and form a united left alliance like that uh, but that's a that, that's a later saga but basically speaking small left-wing groups uh, the whole idea that you can grow organically and start influencing things uh, mm. unless you're terribly lucky and one of your members is a shop steward and you get a strike going and you get some kudos out of it. But uh, in the real world, that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, maybe it does, but not <laughs> that often. So how did you find being, so you were head, of, you were the chair of Dublin H-Blocks, sorry, Dublin, yeah, H-Blocks yeah. Armagh Committee. A frantic, frantic activity and uh, when the hunger strikes developed, uh, uh, nervous breakdown territory there was uh, like you cannot uh, I dislike the hunger strike weapon uh, mm. and I think that whatever could have been won was won with four dead Bernadette felt that with Kieran Donnelly that there was an offer from the Brits that should have been basically accepted that was going nowhere but there was a momentum inside the prison where they were dying for each other mm. and i think as well probably cynical of me to say that the some provost felt there was more to be got out of it but i felt it should have been ended whatever politically could have been one out one out of it was done with four dead mm. the first hunger strike there was a deal and the british reneged on it and Sands mm. took it upon himself to lead the second hunger strike. And I think everybody knew in the second hunger strike there'd be deaths. Mm. So there was an expectation that would happen, that it wasn't simply, yeah, okay, yeah. So that's. And the Brits haven't pulled a double cross in the first one. And you think about it, you look back on it, bloody, they're ordinary clothes and a few other bits and pieces like that. Um, and yeah. Politically speaking, it didn't. But at the same time, uh, I remember was at Hartley at one meeting, a, a, a privately meeting like that, when it came to the uh, election campaign of Fernando South Tyrone. It was a sort of surprise to the provost and to find that people didn't hate them. Right. Oh, they had a sort of, uh, uh, you could almost say, uh, uh, an ultra an ultra approach that they were the vanguard, etc. And mm. uh, like Jesus was one meeting trying to persuade them not to uh, not to throw SDLP members off platforms. Uh, ourselves alone, writ large, yeah. uh, dreadful, dreadful business. And of course, they they learned they took mm. to politics like a duck to water. And I think um, two layers of always left a PD or stood friendly with them, uh, decamped the provost. Mm. Uh, uh, but they decamped as individuals, not as any kind of organization. Like Anne Speed just gave up any kind of left-wing politics and just joined them. Uh, mm. But they were working class 
Uh, I said recently that even now they're the most working class political party in the country. Obviously formed a very, very dedicated people and to orient around them. But they, we thought that they we could, to some degree, they might move in a revolutionary socialist direction, but they leapfrogged us into what I, you would say for better or for worse is a popular frontist direction. And now with the abysmal situation where they've turned on a coin with an anti-migrant thing, Mm, yeah, which I find quite depressing. It shows that the political level inside Sinn Féin that that was done without a murmur. They're peering on anti-migrant platforms all over the country. So Milou wakes up one day and changes their opinion about Ukrainians. Some them change their opinion. I thought the process of becoming a, a left-wing Fianna Fáil would take a bit longer. Did you have a sense like that the whole thing was coming to an end or was it a surprise when it did come to an end in H-Block's Armagh? No, no, the H-Block Armagh did totally uh, won. The RSP couldn't produce candidates because they hadn't that many prisoners. Mm. So I think they wanted out. And mm. I think the relatives, once the relatives uh, decided that they would take people off hunger strike when they were in comas, mm. it was over. Right. And okay. Father Fall broke the hunger strike. Right. And I'm personally glad that he did, because yeah. he got the relatives to take them off. Because they, and, and there was one effort made where the prisoners would sign uh, letters uh, mm. excluding their relatives from the right to do this. Yeah. But I, uh, I think the wiser head said, "Like, what can you do? Have have a have a grieving mom down at Sinn Fein headquarters wanting to take her son off hunger strike and he in a coma?" Yeah. More sensible people had that, and to anybody, like, what could be more was one. Mm. Mm. Like, what a grovelling apology by the English monarchy as they pulled the troops out of Ireland, you know, mm. after two hundred dead and hunger strike. Like, there was nothing more to be done. Mm. And it's an awful weapon. Mm. Michael Farrell was on hunger strike for, I forgot now, it might have been up to 20 days. Yeah. But I suspect he still has health problems out of it. I might be totally wrong. Right. A lot of them who were uh, on hunger strike, I think their health never fully recovered. A dreadful weapon. Yeah. Yeah, I know somebody's father in the Civil War was on the Republican side and was on hunger strike and it's banjaxed them for the rest of their life. And they were a young man in their 20s, early oh. 20s. Person died after 46 days. He had had an ulcer, which of course mm. accelerated the whole business. Mm. And I remember I was, I think it was a Sunday, I was sitting in the H-Block office in Manchester Square and I had a press statement and I just started crying. Like, mm. what could you do? Try and create a movement to save people's lives in the space of their death and a hunger strike. Mm. Right, of course. Be done. Yeah. But then again, it goes back to the whole thing that, except for shooting at the bits, the probes had no real political strategy. Mm. They, you could almost say that the officials had the wrong one, but the probes mm. had none. Mm. Did you did you get the sense that this was a pivot then? The hunger strikes were a pivot. I mean, they weren't the only, it wasn't the only thing. Obviously, there were people inside Sinn Féin who... Oh, I think people like Adams, etc. Mm. Uh, 
and they again the the, the international publicity like there's a big difference between meeting an elected MP and uh, you know like what's his name who was elected instead of Bobby and Fernandez and meeting some shadowy member of an army council like the the, the uh, and I think the they took to it like a duck to water. The interesting thing is, for the first longish period of the Provo's emergence, emergence as a political force was they didn't mm. take votes from the SDLP. They mobilised a section of the population that didn't vote. Mm. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, completely. Uh, it's only in the last, might be wrong in my period, that they start to dig into the SDLP support especially as they started to recruit more middle-class elements, mm. uh, you could say. But you, you look at it even now, leaving aside the, the national struggle, etc., uh, uh, people in the poor areas of Dublin don't vote. Mm. And when they do vote, it's because of some uh, hard-working group develops roots uh, mm. and gets them out to vote. But it's a newish vote. Mm. The, the breakthrough of the uh, fascists in Dublin is, is because the provosts have got too respectable. Across Europe, you get it, uh, etc. The You could say that the CPs across Europe uh, mobilise the alienated of society mm. into a hard left-wing block, but mm. making themselves, well, what Rory Quinn, making themselves safe pairs of hands for government Mm. destroyed the Labour Party roots in the poor areas of Dublin and now you could say the provosts are heading that direction as well like yeah, uh, you, you can't be organising riots about housing if you're going in to talk to IBEC the next day mm. yeah it makes it a lot more difficult doesn't it trying to square so that you've circle. got to have that, that, that uh, now lads don't take me seriously I'm going to address a meeting in Chicor tomorrow where I'll be demanding that uh, that everything be nationalised and etc 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 but mm. I'm, don't take me seriously <laughs> so what did you do after the H-blocks there were various United Front ones that I hung around we had a there was a, a campaign against strip searching Mm. Uh, which I and a couple of friends were involved with the provos and the provos weren't interested. In fact, the only interest we got out of them was they were worried that the SWP would would join it and that it'd be in their bonnet about the SWP. Why, right. I don't know. Right. They're not, they weren't that consequential at that stage and are still not that desperately conse consequential. It's funny in a way that the uh, Shinners are more friendly with people from a CP background who hid under their beds during the H-blocks than they are towards uh, a phony Trotskyist group like the SWP, who warts and all were mm. not missing during the H-block campaign. Did you ever get tempted to join the to join Sinn Féin after Provincial Sinn Féin post, you know, immediately after like the I, hunger I strikes? I for their candidate, one of their candidates out here in Dunleary. Mm. Uh, it was a milkman, a lovely fella. Uh, uh, I'll tell you a story about him he would have his posters up and after the election campaign he would carefully take all his posters down and store them in his garage and put them up next time so the Sinn Féin candidate was getting older but his posters were staying the same <laughs> age about Dorian Gray uh, <laughs> so, so, yeah. so it was mildly suggested 
to me, would I like to be candidate some at some stage? Mm. I, I demurred. Right. <laughs> I think at that stage they were looking for respectable middle class people to put up as candidates around the place. Mm. And you could say in some ways that was uh, you look at the Ardeshes, but bit by bit the uh, people who serve time in jail are getting old or are being replaced as delegates by the Commons mm. with the horde of solicitors and uh, accountants, etc., that they're recruiting left, right, and prospective junior ministers in government. I, I was tempted because, again, and I could see why people like Anne Speed joined. The, yeah. I'd gone to Sinn Féin Ardeshes as, as a guest. Yeah. And, uh, working class composition uh they were growing you, you would feel that you might have some influence there or at least have a home for your politics mm. like that where in the small left wing groups uh you're twiddling your tongue trying to think you're going to make a huge impact mm. uh, and of course that the what the problems are facing now is the problems of electoral politics of trying to be uh, maybe all things to all men and women, but all things to a, uh, at least a quota. So, did you did you join again after that? Did you join anyone after that? No, I was friendly with what was left of PD. Like a, uh, a, I'm, I'm like Groucho Marx. I won't in an organisation whose standards are so low as submit. <laughs> But I mean, nonetheless, you've been involved in campaigns on a, a wide range of areas since. So I mean, it's not a case of not being or around and attending the odd demonstration. Uh, but even there, like obviously, like any civilized person, horrified by Gaza, but wondering what can be done. Mm. But because mm. the only thing can be done in real terms is to persuade the European governments to turn off the tap. Uh, uh, big demonstrations might put some influence on it. Oh, if there is, if there is a positive note, uh, somebody was telling me that the uh, Irish TDs have been surprised at the amount of pro-Palestinian uh, representations they're getting. Mm. Yeah. So it's yeah. a positive thing that Irish people are horrified by what's going on, collective mm. punishment, uh, mm of a whole community uh, it's just a nightmare though mm. so, I have to say this it happened to the Chechens in Russia nobody gave a damn but again it's like all these things you should do your atrocities in private if at all possible which probably explains why the Israelis are killing a few journalists yeah mm. did you were you were you interested in the United Left Alliance at any point yeah uh we had been in an abortive effort to do something like it with uh, Des Derwin, John Meehan, and oh, a few yeah. other people. And funny enough, we had there was one meeting we had with the SWP, and they were agreeing X, Y, and Z. And when we got to the centre of town, they had a public statement saying they were drawn from it. They didn't even had the decency to tell us. And right. then when they set up the United Left Alliance, uh, they they gutted it along with the SP because they didn't want independent members. So they set up then a, a party-led 
united front for their individual membership in order to exclude individual lefties. A cabal with themselves and the Socialist Party. It's funny, the Socialist Party started off with uh, uh, not wanting them to have united left alliance because they had a foothold in electoral politics, which mm. they didn't want to share. What's mm. <laughs> on the other foot? The SWP are the one with the foothold, and they've got Street FI. Yeah, it's it's been a it's been a roller coaster the last ten or fifteen years, on you know. Yeah, but there's left of the, Labour kind the of politics. No, it's a truism. You always preach against sectarian politics when you're the minority group, mm. uh, but you excuse it when you're the majority group. But you look at the manoeuvrings around the place, there's absolutely no effort to set up a genuine broad left formation. Mm. Do you think it's possible to do that? Do you think it would be possible to have such a, a group? No, I think you're dealing with... Uh, it's a small thing. I, there was a gathering out here for some sort of good cause in a, a local club called the Ablana Club and the Estonian mm. people locally were there and... Uh, I was chatting to people like Michael McDonough, who had come out from the city centre, and a few people, Roger Cole was there, etc. And when the forum meeting happened, the SWP people got up and went off to have a quiet drink of their own. And I thought, Jesus, this is sort of a vague lefty audience out in Dunleary. You should be chatting to everybody, circulating. Mm. But they're, mm. they're a group that looks inward. And I think that's their problem. Uh, they don't go outwards. I also feel, too, that all of the sectarian groups share a whole thing. They want to recruit people, but mm. they want to recruit political virgins. Right. They don't want people with baggage because you might be bringing in uh, disease and viruses from other political formations, which you, no matter how much you've left it behind. Mm. That's my honest opinion. Mm. Yeah. Or dishonest opinion. Or dishonest. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Would you still consider yourself a Trotskyist at this point? In the broad sense. But I dislike the whole idea. Again, it goes back to this whole thing that there's some sort of left-wing papacy of mm. uh, of Marx, Engels, Lenin, Trotsky, mm. Grant, Cliff, whatever your uh, mm. line of succession is. And, uh, and that new that you can't get insights from all sorts of people coming from mm. different left-wing groups. Yeah. And I also feel a genuine uh, far-left party uh, would not be an, honor or a, an organic growth of a single yeah. grouping, yeah. Um, for better or for worse. It's like you look at, at Cedar Lounge and uh, you look at a number of people who came from different directions, uh, uh, etc., and have arrived in the same place and are open. You know, you can put mm. in a car of people jumping down the boat. And I dislike one thing that particularly annoys me is you make a comment and somebody, and, and it doesn't happen particularly on Cedar Lounge, but you make a comment and somebody comes up but fails to say this, this, and this. Mm. But it's a comment. You, you don't have to put down the Communist Manifesto, the first four congresses of the Communist International, as mm. a preface. Yeah, yeah, it can be. It can be. Yeah, stuff can be. You know, we can assume and take it as read that certain things, That's, certain values are held, or th certain beliefs are held. Yeah. The 
a motion in Deitker's book that huge things are possible if there's the will. I also think, too, there's a generational thing, which even a couple of years can make a difference. My brother went to college six years, six years older than me, mm. and uh, right of centre conservative, etc. Mm. And I think that the 60s, there was the beginnings of little cracks in Irish society, which I think filtered through to people like me uh, all over the place like that. I'm thinking of my friend Eddie. Uh, okay, yeah. conser- you could say right of centre uh, conservative businessman, but he had a secular funeral. Mm. Did yeah. not return to the church. Yeah. Uh, th- that would have been unheard of in the 60s. And there were little cracks that uh, didn't fully heal in the 60s. Like I remember in, in college, like a significant percentage of the people studying in Eresford Terrace were nuns, brothers and priests. Mm. Well, uh, that the infrastructure, the church has collapsed. The average age of priests, uh, they get older by a year every year or by 11 months and 28 days every year. They're older because mm. they're not recruiting anybody. Mm. Uh, you, the Maoist term about the church, you could say it is a paper tiger. Yeah. Like if somebody told Ragker or Martin that the hierarchy were upset about something they're doing, they'd probably smile. <laughs> and that's the, the the big change. How, what contribution did the small ginger groups about abortion, contraception, etc., make, and what were happening anyway? And mm. that's the uh, you like to think that uh, that at the very least they provided a nudge, etc. Mm. Mm. But uh, very hard to say. Yeah, I mean, there have to be reflections of dynamics inside the society themselves. I mean, they have to be a representation of it and a reflection. Mm-hmm. But simultaneously, they have to be feeding back into the society. Again, it's uh, it's how to get a, a ripple effect in society. Mm-hmm. Uh, and funny enough, if what happened here uh, has, like the whole abortion referendum, which they won, mm-hmm. turned out to be a fairly big trick. Because the percentage who voted no to it in a Catholic country was actually quite good. And the heroic work... Oh, sorry, you mean the original abortion referendum? Yeah, yeah, gotcha, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. uh, uh, It turned out to be a fairly victory. Mm. I think they just taught like 93% vote yes, 7% against, and that would be the Protestant minority along with atheists. Mm. And I think they were shocked. Mm. I know that people got depressed about that, especially with the divorce one. Mm, uh, mm. But the, 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 the ground was shifting under their feet. Yeah. And I also think, too, uh, unintended consequences. If we had had divorce earlier, we mm. probably would have more marriages now. But I think an awful lot of people got used to living in verticomas and sin mm. and couldn't be bothered. Where if yeah. we had divorce, people would have entered into new relationships and got married. Mm. Uh, but that's the deep-rooted changes in Irish society. And mm. uh, I, I, uh, for some bizarre reason on Facebook, and to pick up on interest you have, I get a pro, pro, sponsored pro-life nonsense on it, and they're sort really? of pathetic. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the... the, the, the so much money's been spent on abortion, we've got to stop it, etc. And uh, they're in the position, people like us, where 
in the early 70s. But, yeah. but we were sort of growing, they're declining. Yeah. There's no significant group even among the rural independents want to reopen the abortion issue. Yeah, not seriously. They personally yeah. might be conservative, but they're not going to mm. waste their time on it. But to show you how, how conservative the state was, Bertrand Russell's secretary was a guy called Ralph Showman. Right. Uh, he appears in the history books because he was considered the evil influence over Nice Bertrand. Right. Uh, and he was barred entry to Ireland and he turned up in Paris during the May-June events. Right. Some of the papers had, sure, weren't we right to bar him entry? But that was how conservative the country was. Wow. Yeah. And it was also a even changes among people. Mm. My primary class, I think a third of it emigrated, intercert another lot, leave insert mm. another lot. Uh, the universities train people for export. Mm. Uh, the IMO, the medical organization, had persuaded the college to put a, the college to put a limit on the number of doctors being produced every year basically because they were reproducing them for export and they didn't want to increase competition. Mm. Like, you know, the joke is about Beckett and company. Well, Beckett didn't become an alcoholic. The ones who stayed became alcoholics. That's a yeah. cynical comment, but there's a certain degree of truth in it. Yeah. Do you think there's anything in the fact that this, you know, you describe that, like, there's obviously a degree of rupture when you describe the, the sort of rapid change and say the late 60s, early 70s. But do you think the sort of gradualism of the decline, say, of church power and things like that creates a sort of a situation where we don't address it as well? It sometimes feels that, that, that the tendency becomes, we'll just sit and wait for that to, to go away, you know, rather than mm. sort of look at the, you know, the reality of the influence it still has, you know, yeah. school system and the... I think chicken and egg. I think the the going back to the anti-amendment campaign. I think one, it got on retrospect looking at it, it got a respectable vote well, against the, uh, the the amendment. And two, I think that a lot of the things they said about the exceptions, about life, etc., had a rip effect around the place. Uh, I mm. think my mother voted against the amendment. Uh, she, uh, my youngest sister, had Down syndrome, and she was under no illusions about what life was like. And I, that the small left wing groups, the secularists, etc., uh, trying to read, trying to discuss with people, uh, painful. Like uh, uh, Jackie was run away from doors when she was canvassing, uh, but I think it had an effect. So mm. what came first, the chicken and egg? Again, I think when people run an election campaign or something like that, they're expecting I go up to a door, I'll have a five-minute conversation and I'll change people's minds. I think what you're more likely to do is if you have a five-minute conversation and you plant a few ideas that germinate over a period, you've done well. Mm-hmm. Listen, thanks a million for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks a million for your time. Podcast. I really appreciate it. Okay, dog, take care. All right, thanks a million.